Praise the Lord, everybody, and good evening. Welcome back from church, those of you that went to church uh, today, those of you that were watching us by TV. I also believe God has given you the package that you long to have from him. It's an honor one more time to uh, minister to us. I also pray that God will use me this evening to be a blessing to somebody out there in your comfort zone, in your room, wherever God, wherever the word of God will find you. It's, it's, my, it's my prayer that God will speak to you and God will encourage you. Today we are looking at the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 18. And I was given a text, you will receive the kingdom. You will receive the kingdom. Hallelujah. I will receive the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Uh, Daniel 7, 18, it says, um, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. We are God's holy people. Amen. And, 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 and what a way to start. What a way to start that we will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. You know, it reminds me that, that, that God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, yes, to tend the garden and to keep it, but that everything was also given to him to have dominion, to have dominion over. And so as, as, as this scripture talks of possessing it, there are things that you and I ought to possess as children of God but also as royal priesthood, as people in the kingdom of God, there are areas that we need to possess in our communities, in the marketplace, because the, the, the scriptures that we'll be reading also talk about the kingdom, that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is within us. And so if the kingdom is within you as a child of God, there are things that you are going to have to possess. Glory to God. So what is the kingdom of God, therefore? The kingdom of God is the place where Christ reigns and rules. That is to say, a place where his presence is evident. I'll say it again. The kingdom of God is the place where Christ reigns. Hallelujah. And rules. He doesn't just reign there, but he also rules his rulership. Is over that place. And, and, and so to break it down, it says it's a place where his presence is evident. So is the presence of God evident in your home? Oh my God, the kingdom of God is also there. And so to belong to the kingdom of God is to submit your life to the rule and reign of Christ. So if the kingdom of God is a place where Christ, Christ reigns and rules, for you and I to belong to that kingdom, we ought to submit our lives to the rule and the reign of Christ. And this demands obedience to the will of God. Number two, the kingdom of God is a place of righteousness and all those who enter in that kingdom obtain the righteousness of Christ. 
Didn't you know that the scripture says we are the righteousness of God? So when we enter into that kingdom, when we are part of that kingdom, we obtain the righteousness of Christ. So it is a place where we are no longer dominated by a consciousness of sin, but by a consciousness of righteousness or right living with God. So we are no longer sin conscious, but righteous conscious. So you and I, when we now enter in the kingdom of God, our consciousness of sin is no longer the priority. It is the righteousness of God that consumes all of us. Number three, the kingdom of God is a place of God's blessing. It's a place of God's protection. It's also a place of God's provision. So in the kingdom of God, there are blessings. Yes, many times we ask for the blessings of the Lord. And there, there is also protection. There's protection because the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, dictates the presence of God enveloping, encircling, protecting, watching over you. And so there's protection. But there is also provision in the kingdom of God. There is provision. So it is also, it, it therefore tells me that when you're out of the kingdom of God, when you're outside the boundaries of the kingdom of God, it, chances are that you are not protected. Many chances are that provision for you will be a struggle. And yes, sometimes we all struggle in our daily living. But ours is just a call away. It is just a prayer away. So that is why we are encouraged and also to note that actually in the kingdom of God, things are accessed by faith. But we pray, we ask of God and he gives to us. So there is protection, there is provision also. There are blessings. So having said that, the kingdom of God was one of Jesus' most talked about matters. But it's hardly well grasped, a well grasped concept for us believers today. In fact, if you ask a group of people to define it, you'd probably get a variety of answers. Do you know when you're seated there now in your, in your living room or wherever you are, ask yourself, what is this kingdom of God? How do you understand the kingdom of God? You, the person that is out there. And let's look at this scripture, John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. If my kingdom were of this world, this was Jesus, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. I think this was around about the time that he was being handed over to the chief priests and the elders to be crucified. That was the end of the story as far as they were concerned. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. That's John 18, 36. Luke chapter 17 and verses 20 to 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, 
here it is. Or then, for behold, the kingdom of God, hallelujah, is in the midst of you. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, now after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, when he was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus kept talking about the kingdom. But he ends that part of the, of, of the scripture says, repent and believe the good news or the gospel. And this is what I discovered. The word kingdom, I got, ho- I got help, some help from the Bible Concordance, is used 162 times thereabout in the New Testament, with most of them referring to the kingdom of God. Yet, how often do we as believers, if you ask yourself, how often do we as believers discuss God's kingdom and keep it on the forefront of our hearts? How often, how often do we as believers talk about the kingdom of God? If the kingdom is in us, if the kingdom dwells among us, if we live in the kingdom, how often have we talked about the kingdom of God? Now, according to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary, this is what I got. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the term kingdom is understood as dynamic in nature. Therefore, it is ever-changing, it is ever-growing, but it's also ever-increasing dynamism. So, you talk, talking about the kingdom, it is understood as, a, as dynamic in nature. And so, it also refers, therefore, primarily to the rule or reign of a king. Very rarely is it used in a static sense to refer to a territory. This is as far as that evangelical dictionary is concerned. So, as a result, in the vast majority of instances, it would be better to translate the expression kingdom of God as the rule of God. Hallelujah. The rule of God. The dominion of God. The establishment of God. And so, Baker's Evangelical Dictionary gives us, throws some light about the kingdom. It talks about, in the first instance, the kingdom being dynamic, ever-changing, ever-increasing, ever-growing. And don't we know that about the kingdom of God? It is ever-advancing. Hallelujah. When the kingdom of God always advances, there is territory that has to be taken over. That is yours and my primary responsibility to ensure that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is advancing. There has to be an advancement of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a physical place. So, what is it? Many people think the kingdom of God as heaven or as the church. So what comes to your mind very easily is when somebody talks about the kingdom of heaven, they are, remind, they are, they are 
indicating or they are talking about the church or heaven. However, the kingdom of God is not an actual physical place. A working definition of God's kingdom from a biblical perspective can be seen as God's universal reign or as, a, as creator. Let me say, God's universal reign as creator and Christ's exhaustive work as redeemer. That is powerful. When, when, when that came into my spirit, my God, it, it's so deep, it's so big. I'll say it again. A working definition of God's kingdom from a biblical perspective can be seen as God's universal reign as creator. So we're looking at God as creator, overall, supreme, universal, but also as Christ's exhaustive work as redeemer. So Christ the redeemer. So since God is eternal, his kingdom therefore is eternal. The kingdom of God, in a nutshell, it transcends time and space. The kingdom of God transcends time and space. That is why when we're reading in, in that, in that uh, portion of, of Daniel 7.18, that you shall reign forever and ever and ever. So the kingdom of God transcends time. It transcends space. It is over and above space. So to you as the believer, child of God, you as a believer, you know when you think about this, Christ the Redeemer, universally God reigning as creator, that should spur you to worship this God and to be interested in investing in the kingdom of God. Because every time you're right in the center of the kingdom of God, when we sing that song, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, that's the kingdom of God. My, that, that, that should spur in you. It should stir something in you that should always lead you to the kingdom of God, to desire to be part of what the kingdom agenda is doing or is about. And so, to you as a believer, here are some concepts about the kingdom that you and I are receiving, which are very important for us to understand. Because if, if Daniel is telling us you will receive the kingdom, what is, he, what is he exactly trying to point out to us? And this is what I want us to discuss. God, number one, God reigns over all things. God reigns over all things. We've just seen that, 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 that explanation. Universally, God, the creator, and Christ, the, the redeemer. So God reigns over all things. Since God is creator of everything, he reigns over all things. Hallelujah. God reigns over all things. Hallelujah. He reigns over all. Over everything. He's, he's, he's above all things. He reigns supreme, universally. He's above all things. And he reigns over all. His role as creator, God, establishes his authority over the earth. And all of his creation. Hallelujah. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. The world and all who live in it. 
Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it. The world and all who live in it. It doesn't matter who is intimidating you. It doesn't matter what, 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 what a situation is speaking or, or what, or what a circumstance is throwing at you. God reigns over all things. Hallelujah. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Hallelujah. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over. Which means his kingdom even rules over all that you see. Over all that you think about. Over all that you imagine. Even over all that is under the earth. He rules over all. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 to 17. For in him all things were created. All things. Not some things. All things were created. That means things in heaven and on earth. Praise the Lord. Visible and invisible. This is a very powerful verse. Visible and invisible. So even those that we do not see, they were all created. Even those that are yet to be discovered, they were all created. So for us as human beings, we are surprised. But God is not surprised. That is why you and me are not objects of chance. We are creatures of destiny. God already knew about you and I. He created you. So that which is visible and that which is not visible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Hallelujah. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things consist. So when somebody even talks about things like, oh, we meet an atheist and he says, oh, God does not exist. May the Lord give you that answer which says, yes, God actually does not exist. Because even existence exists in God. Even what is not visible and what has not been spoken by you atheists exists in God. He's above all. He's over all. So when God created man and gave him dominion and responsibility over the earth in the garden, it was an opportunity that we lost. The opportunity was for man to participate in God's kingdom. But praise God, through the redemptive work of Christ, we have regained the kingdom of God. We have regained our place as participants in God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Number two, God promises a kingdom. The first one was God is ruler over all. God reigns over all things. Number two, God promises a kingdom. Though sin now permeated mankind, as we know it in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. 
when sin walked into the, the fellowship that man had with God. God called out a people for himself to bless. People like Abraham. God was not short of ideas, children of God. No, he never runs short of ideas because he's not surprised. He wasn't surprised by what the devil had done in the garden. He already had a plan. So, God looked at people like Abraham. Through a covenant, God promised that through Abraham, he would reestablish his kingdom authority on earth. So God already had a plan that, people, that through people like Abraham, he would reestablish his rulership, his authority on earth. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3. It says, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. These are the words of God to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's attempt to reestablish his kingdom authority on earth. Hallelujah. I believe God is still looking out for somebody, for you and I, to reestablish his kingdom authority in your community, in this country, in Africa and in the world. Genesis 17 verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Again, God desiring to reestablish his authority. I will be their God. Genesis 26. Verse 4, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So comprehensively, Abraham and his descendants would have three things. Number one, land, nation, and a blessing. That is what, what, that's, that's, that was God's agenda with Abraham. So in this covenant that God was reestablishing with Abraham, he was looking at three very important key things today that, that also matter today in our lives. A land, a nation, and a blessing. So when you pray for a blessing, pray for the nation. Pray that the land will be given unto you. This shows God advancing his kingdom through a chosen people who would be permanently set apart for God's purpose. Isn't that God's agenda for us today? God desires to establish his authority. When you and I will cooperate, we shall be the kind that God is looking out for, such as those who will be set apart for his purposes. So God desiring to advance his kingdom through a chosen people who would be permanently set apart for his purpose. 
I pray that that shall be us that we shall desire for God's purpose to be established in us. Number three, God shows his standard of holiness within his kingdom. After Israel left Egypt, God established a covenant with his people at Sinai. He revealed his name to Moses as I am, establishing his character as the all-sustaining one. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. God established his character as the all-sustaining one. When he gives the law to Moses for the people of Israel, he does so to set the nation apart from all other nations on earth. You remember at the time that Moses was negotiating with God in the wilderness when God told Moses, just move aside so that I may destroy these people. Moses said, how will they hear that the mighty God who rescued them out of slavery is now destroying them? What will distinguish us, Israel, from the rest, Egypt? If you are going to deal with us in the same way, how shall we be distinguished? And so when God gives the law to Moses for the people of Israel, he does so to set this nation of Israel apart from all other nations on earth. God's holiness was the standard for the people's obedience. That was God's standard. Obedience. Obedience. The Israelites' faith was to guide their actions. Their faith was supposed to guide their actions. Forgiveness therefore came by way of sacrifice through mediation of the priest. The conditional nature of the covenant reveals God's standard of holiness that must be maintained in his kingdom. So talk about receiving the kingdom of God. They are standards. A standard on which God will act obedience. Hallelujah. Repentance. They ought to be faith. All these things are ingredients for God's standard to be established among us. Holiness being set apart. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to 6, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Hallelujah. Although the whole earth is mine, these are the words that God is speaking. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This was God speaking to Moses. Hallelujah. This is what you are to tell them. 
that you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you out to myself. So God was bringing them out from Egypt to himself. And he said, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, eh, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Hallelujah. Although the whole earth is mine, he goes on to qualify the statement. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be set apart. Hallelujah. God wants to set you and me apart. Not that God is a God who favors others and leaves the others. No. His word is simply saying, I want to set you apart. I want to set you apart. You are not just any usual person. No. Me, I want to set you apart. This, this evening, God wants to set you apart as an individual. And therefore, the kingdom of God was established on earth when Jesus Christ came into the world. When the angel Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus to Mary, he confirmed Christ's birth in the fulfilled promises that he made also to David. The purpose of John the Baptist was to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. One of the ways he did this was by calling people back to God through repentance. So the mission of John the Baptist was to call people back to God through repentance. And we are looking at the kingdom of God being established on earth, here on earth, when Jesus came into the world. Matthew 3 verse 2, it says, And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These were the words of John the Baptist. So, when Jesus came to be baptized, Jesus, John then recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he says in John 1.29, he says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, it's like the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus came, embodying the kingdom of God, his coming on earth was like he was bringing with him, establishing with him the kingdom of God. As the Lamb that was to take away the sin of the world. So it is when we receive Jesus in our hearts that we receive the kingdom of God. No wonder the scripture that says we are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, God's chosen race. Praise the Lord. And so the coming of Jesus also brought with him the, the, the dictates, the precepts, the, the ordinances of the kingdom of God. Number five, I'm trying to, to go through very fast. The kingdom of God is also to be received. Yes, the king, uh, we, we were talking about you shall receive the kingdom of God. Yes, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's also another for you to actually receive the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. Jesus teaches that one is to receive the kingdom of God as a small child. This teaching therefore indicates that 
The kingdom is not something that we are to achieve in and of ourselves. No. As he was teaching that, you ought to receive the kingdom of God like a little child. You cannot achieve this by doing anything about it. Rather, we are to humbly accept it as a little child. That childlike faith, humbly, wholeheartedly, without any other agenda or without any other motive, humbly receive the kingdom of God. By grace, we are saved. This is where now the humility comes in of not actually working at it as far as the kingdom is concerned. But by grace, we are saved. So by faith, you accept Christ in your heart and he also becomes Lord over your life. So by grace, we are saved. It's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we work at. No, we don't achieve it. It's not a degree. It's by grace. Through faith. The faith like of a little child. Humbly receiving the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is to be received with the kind of faith that is of like a little child. Without any complications. Without any reservations. Without any trying to rationalize and trying to, to, to suggest and trying to, to, you know, to make all sorts of excuses, a little child will simply come to the master. We will simply yield. Actually, the word is yield, yield, yield to the master. Hallelujah. We'll yield to the master. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Hallelujah. So Jesus uses a child to illustrate our dependency. By which we are to rely on Christ. For our entrance into the kingdom. Philippians chapter 2. Illustrates Christ's exceptional obedience. He treaded his every heavenly right. Every heavenly right that he had. He treaded it for a crown of thorns. So that you and I might freely receive salvation. In exchange, the risen king was given the right to be called Lord. Hallelujah. He was given the right to be called Lord. Lord of our, our lives. Number six. Entering and receiving the kingdom of God requires belief and repentance. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance as a prerequisite of belonging to the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 and chapter 4 verse 23 it says, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus went throughout Galilee 
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Repentance and belief in Christ leads a person to a spiritual birth that guarantees entrance into the kingdom of God. Repentance and believing Christ, believing the good news. Hallelujah. It will guarantee entrance into the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. When he was talking to Nicodemus. As a believer, the kingdom of God resides within us. That is very important to note. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. The kingdom of God as a believer resides within us. So when Jesus taught that the kingdom was within the believer, his intent was to teach the believer of the new spiritual realm in which the person now lived. You and I are not just ordinary people. No. We now operate, we ought to operate in another realm. Hallelujah. So when Jesus thought about that kingdom that is within us as a believer, he intended that you, the believer, should realize that your spiritual realm is now different. You now operate in a new realm altogether because the kingdom of God resides in you. When you get into an office somewhere, when you get into some place somewhere, the kingdom of God is within you. It's operating within you. So everything that you do, the way you carry yourself, the words that you speak, even the prayers that you make are consequential because you now operate in another realm. Hallelujah. And then lastly, the kingdom of God has implications for the believers today. Yes, you receive the kingdom of God, but it has implications. Praise God, even today. As believers of Christ, we are to worship him as Lord. Acknowledging Christ as Lord is in effect recognizing his reign. So when we are worshiping God and acknowledging Christ as Lord, in effect, we are recognizing the reign, the rulership of Christ. Hallelujah. And so when, when, we, are, when, when we are not worshipping God, when, when for us our, our priorities are different and they are not about the kingdom of God, they are not about worshipping God, about declaring the lordship of Christ, then we are doing injustice. To the rulership and the reigning of the kingdom of God in our community or even in our nation. We are to live out his teaching and live in anticipation of his return. These are, these are, are some of the things that sometimes we don't even want to talk about. But a child of God, that the Lord is coming back. The master is returning. So you and I are supposed to live out the teachings of Christ and begin to anticipate. We should all be operating in the teachings of Christ and anticipating the return of the master. Because when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, part of the directive was to pray that God's kingdom would come into full existence, into full operation on earth. Likewise, ours should also be, let your kingdom come. 
Let your kingdom be established here on earth. Because when the kingdom of God is here, the power of God is, the rulership of God is, the name of God is, the presence of God will be. Hallelujah. And so in conclusion, how should we as believers respond to receiving the kingdom of God? With a kingdom mindset. So you and I, number one, are to operate with a kingdom mindset. Mm. We should operate with a kingdom mindset. What does God think about the nation? Not just about my household. Mm -mm. Not just about my household. The, the, The mindset of the kingdom of God is nations. The mindset of the kingdom of God is, 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 is the congregations, is, is the people of God. It's about winning souls. That is the kingdom mindset. The kingdom mindset is winning souls for the kingdom of God. So number one, you and I are to have a kingdom mindset. Hallelujah. And we should see how God has worked throughout times to guard over the world and to redeem his people. His loving and just character allows us to realize that God has plans and he always makes sure that those plans actually come to pass. Hallelujah. So the plans of God, the welfare of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, the character of God, the justice of God to the nations, kingdom mindset. Lastly, We should receive the understanding that the kingdom of God lives in us with a sense of urgency and a challenge to tell others about Christ. Remember I talked about having a kingdom mindset. Yes, it's about soul. But do we have that sense of urgency to challenge people about knowing Christ? Do we have that sense of urgency to win souls for Christ? Because the days are getting shorter and shorter. Do we have that sense of urgency whenever we are down on our knees to call on the Father that he may save souls for the kingdom, that he may give us the boldness that the disciples always prayed for, give us the boldness that we shall be able to proclaim the gospel. God's patience with us will not last forever, child of God. At some point, Christ will return. His second coming is not to redeem, but to judge. So that should create in us a sense of urgency for our loved ones that do not know Christ yet. For the nation of Uganda and its leaders. For the nations in Africa, in in East Africa and in Africa and in the whole world. Because he's not coming back as a redeemer. He's coming back as a judge. Because we do not know the day or the time, we are to use our time wisely to help others receive the kingdom through faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You and I have been tasked with a mandate. If the kingdom is within us, we are to operate with a kingdom mindset. We are to operate with a sense of urgency. Because the master is returning soon. May God help us. May God bless us. May God use us. May God speak to us. May God cause us to rally 
with this word and run with it because the kingdom of God is not just at hand, it's also within us. May God bless you. Amen.